0: Dear Lord, just once again, I, I thank you for this opportunity that we get together get together and uh, uh, lift up your name in worship and worship. And I hope that you can just humble all of our hearts for the message that you have uh, for us today. And uh, just be with us with the, the potluck today. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right. We are going to be continuing our hope is here series and as we were singing that song i realized how uh how well it goes with this series um and for those of you don't know a lot of times our set lists that we do are made weeks in advance i think that one was made a couple weeks ago so it was before we started this series and that that song opens up with the line our hope is or my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness so that's as we were singing that, I was realizing that. I was like, wow, that's so awesome. Um, that God worked that out for this to happen, or for us to sing that song while we're doing this series. Um, but so, like I said, we're going to continue with our, ho- our our Hope Is Here series, and this morning we're going to talk about Hope for the Broken. Now, before we get into it, I just want to make sure that you guys understand it has nothing to do with Appreciation Sunday. There's no correlation there. So don't try thinking as I'm going, like, what are they saying? Appreciation Sunday, what, what does that have to do with broken? They're not really related. It just so happened to be that they line up on the same day. So don't be trying to, you know, put the puzzle pieces together and think uh, we're trying to sneak some kind of subliminal message to you guys. Uh, but that's not, that's not what we're doing. Uh, but basically, uh, uh, when, I started, when I first started to prepare for this, this message, Hope for the Broken... The first thing that I did was I uh, I looked up the word broken, not because I never heard it before, not because I didn't know what it meant. But I was like, that seems like a good place to kind of start. So I looked it up and was looking at a couple of the different definitions that were there. Um, and if you want to, to fact check me, you can look it up. I'm pretty sure I got it from Merriam-Webster online. Uh, but basically, there was three, three different definitions that I saw that really kind of stuck out to me of how we can use the term broken when we're talking about hope for the broken. And so those are the three definitions that we're going to be looking at as we go uh, throughout this morning and what we're going to be doing, uh, the three, I'm sorry, the three definitions that we're going to be looking at are going to be, uh, broken, meaning damaged or altered, altered by, or as if by breaking made weak or infirm and not complete or full. So those are the three definitions that we're going to kind of be looking at and seeing, okay, how does that apply to us being broken and there being hope for us if we're broken and another thing that I thought of while I was preparing this, and as we're going to be going through these definitions, maybe there's some of us that are sitting here saying, well, I don't really, none of those really apply to me, okay? Uh, and maybe at this point in your life, maybe none of these definitions really apply to you, but the fact is, I'm sure we all know at least somebody who will fit into one of these definitions of, of broken. And it, But you might be sitting there thinking, well, I, I'm not broken, uh, so, so why do I need, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? But that's, as we go through it, I hope you understand, I hope we can come to an understanding, um, of what we mean by hope for the broken and kind of going back to what Pastor John mentioned last week with this series, the, the goal kind of being that we better understand, uh, the freedom that comes in the hope that we have in Christ. So what we're going to be, we're going to start out in John chapter four. So go ahead and turn to John chapter four and in the Bibles that are provided in the pews, that's going to be on page 745. So John chapter four. And this is a, a passage that I think a lot of us, would, you're probably saying, okay, I can get, get how this person is probably broken. But go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, and we're going to start in chapter, verse 5. And again, this is our first definition that we're going with for the term broken. All right, so damaged or altered by or as if by breaking. And the, the word I really want to focus on in this, in this section is damaged, okay? So I want you to think about that definition of broken being damaged as we read through this passage. John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Now, again, I feel like if, this, if she knew that she was talking to Jesus, if she knew that's who she was talking to, she probably wouldn't be getting a little smart like she did right there, right? Listen, you've got nothing to get the water from. The well is pretty deep. What's your solution? How are you going to get this living water? You're, you're telling me you can give me living water. Okay, go for it. There's nothing to get the water with. Uh, so she goes on in verse 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, and I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. Now this is one of those kind of sneaky things that Jesus does, where he kind of knows what's going on, but kind of gives them the opportunity to say it. So the woman said and answered in verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. All right, so this is, uh, as I said, this is probably a familiar passage for a lot of us. This is the passage that we refer to as the Samaritan woman at the well. And she's obviously a lady who um, had quite kind of a a rough background. And so we're going to kind of remind ourselves of what her background is. First of all, she lets Jesus know the second that he asked her, for, to get him water, she says, listen, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why are you asking me this? Now for those who don't know, basically the Samaritans and Jews, they were, if you want to think of it this way, they hated each other, okay? They didn't really like each other at all. They were kind of, uh, you could almost say they were rivals, but basically they didn't like each other all that much. Um, That's why when Jesus told the the story of the good Samaritan, he specifically used the the Samaritan man to be kind of the hero of the story. Because for the Jews and especially the religious elite, that kind of put them back on their heels. They're like, well, what is he talking about? How is the Samaritan the hero in the story? They're supposed to be the bad guys. Um, But this is another example of Jesus really kind of showing that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. That really his message, the reason he came is for everybody. Uh, so basically her background, she's a Samaritan, obviously not getting along well with Jews. So she, that was the very first thing that came to her mind. So you want to think that's the very first thing that came to her mind. It's a pretty surface level thing. But that's how, that's how deep rooted this, this kind of uh, battle going back and forth between the Samaritans and the Jews. But to get more in her, her personal background, obviously Jesus points out the fact that she had five husbands. And the guy that she's currently with isn't her husband. And so she's obviously got kind of a rough background. And if you think about it, uh, in her time, especially back then in that culture, first of all, the fact that um, Jesus is a man and she's a woman, again, in their culture, that's another kind of like he's telling her, hey, give me some drink because that's kind of how it was in their culture, right? The women were supposed to always be uh, kind of serving the men like that. But that's in their culture and what she kind of her past probably pretty well known in the area, um, she would definitely be seen as damaged or broken to her culture. Okay. She's somebody who's, who's had five different husbands. She's with another man now who's not even her husband. She's probably somebody who a lot of people would talk about behind her back. Probably somebody when she's walking by in the street, they would say, oh, look who it is. She's the one who's had five husbands, right? Uh, so really people probably didn't look on her in a very good manner. They probably saw her as damaged or as broken. Uh, Again, obviously we, we, we understand that she's damaged or broken in the cultural sense when it comes to the Jews and Samaritans. So why would Jesus talk to her? But also her own personal past is pretty rough. So we can understand she's she's pretty broken in that aspect. She's damaged. Um, why would anybody want to really deal with her? That, maybe, that probably was another thing that was going through her mind when Jesus said, hey, go ahead and get me some water. And he's even having this conversation with her. It's not just like a really just kind of surface-level conversation. He's having this deep conversation with her, talking about worshiping, talking about God, talking about basically all like kind of their theology that they lived, lived by. And so he's going in this in-depth conversation. He's probably throwing her way back. Because first of all, again, why do you even start the conversation, Jew-Samaritan? But now he's going in-depth conversation with me. And now he points out the fact, he knows that I've had five husbands and the guy I'm with isn't my my husband currently. And I think it's funny, after he says that to her, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet, right? You just told me pretty much everything. There's probably a lot of people who don't even know some of that about me. But you just told me, so you're probably at least some kind of prophet at the very least, okay? But... What are some things that, that she might be thinking? Okay, again, I kind of wanted us to put ourselves in her shoes of maybe kind of having that, that broken past or maybe being, uh, culturally speaking, not really maybe fitting in with the church. Right. Somebody who when you walk into the church, you feel like I feel like everybody's just staring at me. Right. Or maybe everybody knows, you know, knows my past. And, you know, we live in a small town. We live in kind of a rural area. Everybody kind of knows at least, you know, a good amount of people. And so a lot of people probably know how a lot of people grew up. They knew their parents and all those kinds of things. So if you know somebody, or you know that somebody knows you and how you grew up and how you were raised and things that you did when you were younger, and then you both walk into the same church together just kind of looking at each other like, I never thought I'd see you here. And then you're thinking the exact same back to them. But... That's kind of I, that's how I feel the, the kind of feelings that's probably going through her mind as far as being damaged or broken because this, this Jewish man, he's talking to me. And now he's going in-depth talking about worshiping, when and where to worship, talking about worshiping the Father and the Spirit. She's probably kind of getting a little lost a little bit. She's probably still thinking, uh, how, how in the world did he know that I've had five husbands? How did he know all these things about me? But some thoughts that might be going through her head that maybe we've maybe experienced or maybe somebody that we know have experienced. I wrote down some thoughts. Maybe God won't want anything to do with me. Maybe that's something that maybe you've felt in your own life. Maybe you've felt in your past. Maybe you've grown past that. You know, you've put your faith in him. And now you've been able to look back and see how much he's been able to use. But maybe you're somebody who's going through that right now. Or maybe you know somebody who's going through that right now. And you're trying to think and you're you're praying and asking you know advice of how to how should i talk to this person how should i deal with this person how should i encourage them and point them to christ because the thought process that they have is god won't want anything to do with me My, my past is too too damaged i'm too broken i'm beyond repair maybe a thought that's going through somebody's head is i'm i'm nothing like the kind of people that god is looking for Okay, that's kind of back to what I was talking about, coming into a church, and you look around, and everybody, for the most part, kind of, you know, kind of has a similar kind of appearance. Um, now, our church, we're, we're not, you know, super hardcore about, you know, dressing however you want, or about having to dress a certain way every single Sunday. You have to dress like this. You know, nothing can change. Now, I'm not going to point out the fact that I have a button-up shirt on. Pastor John has a T-shirt on. Um, but we'll just kind of leave that there, I guess. But, no, but so... A lot of us, especially growing up in America, right, we've definitely drifted away from that, from being uh, what a lot of people would call a Christian nation. But I feel like back in the past, a lot of us have probably grown up, even if we've never been to church, never heard about Jesus, never read the Bible. If somebody says church, I feel like a lot of most Americans have a picture in their mind of what somebody who goes to church looks like. Okay? And so somebody who hasn't accepted Christ, somebody who's really struggling with the fact, thinking that, that I'm damaged, I'm broken, I'm, I'm beyond repair. Um, maybe they're thinking, they're looking at those people that they think that's the kind of a person that goes to church, that's a person who says they're a Christian, and saying, I'm nothing like that kind of person. I'm nothing like the kind of people God is looking for. When in reality, I mean, sometimes they might be looking at somebody saying that they're, you know, a good example of what the kind of person that God wants, and saying, I'm nothing like them, I'm way worse than them. And that person... You know, probably could end up being worse than they are. But that's not that's not the, the point of, of the gospel. The point of the gospel isn't, well, h- how good are you? We don't have to get to a certain level before we can accept the gospel, right? We don't need so many, you know, loyalty points before we can get to the gospel, okay? God's willing to work with us right where we are. but So that's another thought. God won't want anything to do with me. I'm nothing like the kind of people God's looking for. Um, or maybe maybe we're somebody who already is saved. Somebody who's accepted Christ as our Savior. Uh, we, we've gone through the step of baptism. We're a professing Christian. But maybe we're thinking, maybe you're struggling with the thought of, with the things that I've done. Yes, God has saved me. But with the things that I've done, God wouldn't want to and can't use me. Okay? And maybe that, that thought process is coming from that place of, I'm around people who know me really well. I'm around people who know the things that I've done in my past. How am I then going to come alongside these people and serve in a ministry or how how am I going to lead in a ministry when I know these people know what I've done know where I've been and especially when we go out into our community we're serving our community and we go and and we're doing things like for example here next month I'm sorry two months uh, the youth group every year every fall we do an event called the rake and run basically we just go around town knock on people's doors say hey can we rake your lawn for you And a lot of times we'll have people say, oh, well, how much, how much are you charging? How much do you want me to give to you? And we're not doing it to charge anywhere. We're just going out to be a blessing to the, to the community. We tell them about what church we're from and just saying, we want to be a blessing to you. Some people it's kind of, it's funny how some people that just blows their mind that we would just want to go out and do that and not be paid for it. Uh, we've had some people, you know, give us some, some treats and stuff like that. Uh, it's a little bit harder to turn away a Capri sun and some chips if somebody's handing that out or hot chocolate if the day, if it's cold out that day. Um, but we just want to go out and, and, and be of service to the community and help people like that. Uh, but if we're doing something like that, right, and maybe you're that kind of person saying, well, these people in the community, they know who I am. And you go door to door and you knock on the door and be like, hey, I'm from North Goodland. And you're like, oh, I know you from high school and you know me from high school. <laughs> we know what happened in high school. And I'm here serving with my church. I just want to help you. And you're just thinking, what's going through their mind? Okay. But th- that's, that's something that we have to get over it's something that we have to get past and understand and look at just examples of people in the Bible that God was able to use regardless of what their past was. Okay? You think back even to the Old Testament, right? Rahab, Rahab was really crucial when it came to uh helping out the children of Israel when uh God was helping them take down Jericho, right? She was one that helped the spies in kind of getting in there and helping out and she was a prostitute, okay? And then we also and we look into even the New Testament. I mean, the greatest example probably in the New Testament would have to be Paul because when he was Saul, he was right there, right alongside everybody who was persecuting the Christians, people who, who were followers of Christ. And he completely flipped on, on the, did a 180 and wrote the majority of the New Testament, went all over the world or over on his side of the world as a missionary. And we probably think of him as probably the greatest missionary that, that we know about because of all the traveling that he did, all the, the letters that he wrote that are also in the Bible. And we just think that's just two examples right there of the kind of people that God was able to use no matter what their past was. And so that, that thought process of the things that I've done, God would, God wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to use me or he can't use me. Now, that idea of can't use me, if we do have that, that thought process or we've had that thought process, that's kind of a, that's almost kind of an arrogant thought process without thinking that we're being arrogant about it because, oh, well, what, what I've done, God can't use me. Really, God can't. You, God can't get over the fact that you did this. You made a dumb mistake back at, back here. God created the universe. Okay, God's the one who gives us breath every single day. So to have that thought that He can't use me—that's um, maybe not necessarily an arrogant thought process, but we're really kind of belittling the power of God. All right. Um, but also the, that thought process of God wouldn't want to use me. Okay, God wouldn't want to use me. Now. Uh, I think of an example here of, I believe it was, I believe it was Mark Hall, and John can correct me if not, if I'm wrong, and he definitely would. Uh, but I believe it was Mark Hall, uh, who was uh, the leader of Casting Crowns. And I think I remember a story of him talking about how when kind of God was calling him to basically serve, you know, as far as music and worship and things like that. And basically it boils down to the fact that uh, God was telling him, listen, I don't need you. Right, God didn't need him to fulfill God's will. God doesn't need me to fulfill God's will because God is, again, the creator of the universe. He's all-powerful. He's conquered sin and death through the death of Jesus on the cross. He can have his will done through somebody else if I'm not going to step out and be willing. He doesn't need me. But basically, the message that he was getting from God was, I don't need you, but I want you. I want to use you. Okay? And so when we think about that now... When I think that thought, that, that's kind of a humbling thing because, again, thinking back to, you know, I've made mistakes here, you know, multiple times throughout my life, made different mistakes. Um, why would He want to use me? And so that can be a humbling thought. But it's important to remember that no matter what we've done, no matter the decisions that we've made, God only, God, not only can God can God use us, but He does want to use us. Um, so, kind of wrapping up the looking at this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Basically, she represented the opposite of Jesus in every single way. Okay, first of all, obviously, the cultural aspect. She was Samaritan. He was a Jew. Um, But she also lived probably completely opposite kind of way that Jesus would have wanted her to live. Now, I I love how in this story, er, as Jesus sitting there and talking to her, again, he knows all of her past. He let her know that he knew all of her past. But we don't see him really condemn her for that. He's letting her—because he's trying to let her know, listen— and as he goes through and he's talking about, you know, yeah, we've, we've talked before about this is where you're supposed to worship. You have to come here to this certain place so you can worship God the certain way that we talked about. He's foreshadowing and talking about the gospel and basically talking about how it's going to be for everybody, worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. That's what he's, he's, he's kind of leading into and kind of telling her about. And if we were to go continue to read in this passage, we tell or we see that she goes out And she goes into town and she tells everybody about this person that she just met. Okay. We even see, she talks earlier about, she knows who the Messiah is. She knew what the Messiah was supposed to be, what he was supposed to do when he came. And then he let her know, listen, that's me. I'm that guy. And so we see after this all goes down, she goes into her town and she goes out and she starts telling everybody about the conversation she had with Jesus. And she says, come see him. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I think we can take away from this as far as no matter how broken she was, God was still able to use her. Because she went out and she told people about Jesus, and then she went and brought people to Jesus. Said, listen, you have to come see him. Follow me. We have to go see Jesus. Um, and that, I think, is probably the greatest uh, testimony that we as Christians could have. Somebody who was known to go out and tell people about Jesus and then even drag them along and say, hey, listen, you got to come see Jesus. You know, for us to be out in our community, uh, amongst our friends and our family, you got to come to church and you got to hear about Jesus. That's how important it is. And she had that that personal face to face interaction with Jesus. And the first thing she wanted to do was go around and tell everybody, "Listen, you got to come see him." Now, again, think back to the fact that when she's walking through town, there's probably a lot of people or a lot of thoughts that people are having about her as she's walking through town. And now she's coming through. But the interaction the the the, the interaction that she had with Jesus. The change that she kind of felt in her life from from talking to him, having that conversation with him, that wasn't even something on her mind. She wasn't thinking, oh, what are they going to think about me when I go to tell them about what Jesus said? What are they going to think? Why would they want to follow me? Okay, nobody likes to talk to me. Um, But so basically we understand that she she lived completely opposite of the way that Christ would have wanted her to live. Um, And again, lived in a time where in her society she was probably seen as, as broken. She can't be used for anything. Um, but there's no way that we could uh, by all accounts this woman was damaged and there's no way that she could be worthy of the hope of Christ but Jesus offered her the living water and with it he also offered her that hope that comes to him to go spread that hope she immediately wanted to go tell other people about him and and talk about the conversation and how he knew everything about her and that listen the Messiah the guy that we've been talking about the guy we've been been taught about who's going to be coming he's here I just talked to him you got to come see him so that's really kind of the first definition. And the second definition it kind of can blend in a little bit um, with the first one. Uh, but that's, that's kind of that definition of being damaged. That's what we mean by broken, being damaged. So the second one that we're going to look at uh, really is, is kind of being made weak. Okay, so being made weak. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 11, that's where we're going to go next, Matthew chapter 11. And in the Bibles and the pews, that's on page 679. Matthew chapter 11. And I believe if I remember correctly, Pastor John actually referenced this uh, passage last week. And uh, I did want to to also uh, kind of point out something cool that happened this last week uh, with this passage, with uh, this message. And we already kind of talked about the song that we sang, how our hope is, is in Jesus and the righteousness that we get through him. Um, but when I started going through making preparing this message and was getting to this portion of being made weak and got to this passage in Matthew chapter 11, um, last week, or I guess it was the week before maybe, um, the office staff, myself, pastor John and Kelsey, back in the summer, we started going through a book kind of reading through a chapter a week and then discussing it just kind of, you know, uh, something to help us grow uh, closer to Christ, but also grow as a staff. And we started a new book just this last week. And we're going through the first couple of chapters and, Um, the, the first chapter that we were reading and was talking about basically feeling weary, feeling tired out when it comes to serving Christ. And he was referencing this passage and that was kind of something, you know, when we were going through it, uh, I was reading through it and thinking, wow, that's really cool. I was already, I was reading through this passage, uh, just this past week and preparing for this message. And then when we were sitting there kind of going through discussion, you know, I had said that I had a question. And Kelsey was like, she's like, I have a question too. And she had asked John if if she knew or if he had already read through that passage when he referenced this last week. And uh, he was like, no, that was actually really cool. When he, as he was reading through the book, knew that he had already preached on it this past Sunday. So it's really cool how God has been able to use um This series, that book, and I guess, especially in in my life, Pastor John and Kelsey's life, uh, just being able to see his hand really in everything. Um, Now, that's kind of aside from the point that we're making here, but I just thought I'd want to share that. So, Matthew chapter 11, if you're there, we're going to be starting in verse 28. Now, I do want to say, as we get closer to the end, I'm sure we're going to start to smell some of that food next door, and I'm going to need everybody to hold focus. OK, not, you know, get too distracted by what's going on there in the crockpots. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever actually been able to preach on a Sunday when we've had a potluck. So that was my first chance at a crockpot joke. Uh, it's kind of fun. You know, I think it's low hanging fruit, but take what you can get. So Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verses 28 through 30. It says there come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right. So uh, referencing that, that aspect of when he says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That idea of being weak, that idea of being weary. Okay, That's the second definition that we're looking at when it comes to being broken. Broken, uh, again, being made weak. Okay. So uh, made weak or infirm. Uh, First of all, when we read something like this, when I think of, okay, who who might be reading this? What kind of person might be reading this passage and thinking, yes, that applies to me. I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm heavy, you know, labor, heavy laden. All these apply to me. Now, I think a lot of us can feel that way just from regular everyday life, right? Just regular everyday life can wear us out. Whether it's, you know, maybe we feel like we're in a rut, just constantly the same routine every single day, every single week. Um, Maybe it's just crazy busy all the time, always going from one place to another and really kind of feeling weary, kind of worn out. Um, And I feel like a lot of times when we're in that kind of situation, when we're experiencing uh, that that weariness, that weakness from just being worn out and beat up by everyday life, I feel like that's a lot of times when uh, it can be really easy to maybe be cynical about God and wondering, you know, God just like everything seems to be falling apart. Maybe maybe it's just every like regular everyday life. But maybe things in your life, there's a lot of things that are hitting you at the same time. Maybe you've lost a loved one, lost your job. Maybe you haven't lost your job. But maybe finances aren't, you know, as steady as you would like them to be. Um, and it can be really easy to be, I guess, cynical or, or wonder and question God and be angry at God. God, where are you? Why aren't I? I don't see you anywhere here. Right. Everything's just kind of beating me up and tearing me down. So I think a lot of us can experience that feeling weak and weary just from everyday life. Uh, but maybe there's also some of us that can feel weak and worry, weak and weary from church, weak and weary from church. Now I feel like that can apply to a lot of different areas. Maybe that applies to you in the sense that again, that same routine, I'm just coming to church, doing the same thing. Like just feel like I'm going through the motions, come in, stand up when I know what I'm supposed to stand up, sit down, shake hands, you know, laugh at the lame jokes, all those things. Um, and so I, I just feel like I'm always doing the same exact thing, just feeling wore out from that. But that book that we were reading, what they was really kind of focusing on was feeling weary and worn out just in service. And th- that first chapter he was kind of talking about, and uh, really the almost the whole chapter, the perspective was, you know, God's promising that I will give you rest. It's promising that if you come to me, you're, you're, those who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And maybe a lot of times as we're serving, we're not feeling much of that rest. Maybe you serve in a certain ministry and you feel like, you're, like the amount of work and preparation that you put in, it doesn't seem to balance and equal with, I guess, the outcomes that we're looking at. And say, well, that didn't go how I wanted it to, didn't go as smoothly, uh, this didn't come through, I was putting all this time and effort into it, and then it really just kind of fell through. Um, and we had talked about when we were going through that book, is that is basically coming from a place when we're setting our own expectations of what, what are we serving God for? What is my purpose in this ministry? Why am I serving? And if we're setting our own expectations and not looking at it from God's perspective and the expectations that he has from it, then I feel like we're always going to be disappointed, unless we're always just kind of you know, making the bar really low and easy for ourselves. Um, I feel like we're always going to feel disappointed because we're looking at it through you know, our own human eyes. And I feel like, especially when it comes to serving and you're, 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 maybe you're running an event for one of your ministries, it can be really easy to just look at. I think the first thing that we look to is numbers. And especially if you're preparing you know, food and you're trying to get food for something and you're kind of estimating, okay, how much food are we going to need? And you get all the food and then you only go through half of it that can be kind of disappointing sometimes. Or maybe maybe you've been witnessing to somebody, and you know that God's put this person on your heart. You know I'm supposed to share the gospel with them. Um, I know God wants me to be a positive influence in their life, but they just don't seem to be getting it. They keep going and doing the same stupid things over and over again, and it just seems to be going nowhere. I'm getting worn out. I'm getting beat up. But if we're looking at it with our own expectations of, of what's going to happen, then we're totally going to miss what God is doing through us, how we're able to serve him and understanding the fact that we're serving him or the reason that we're serving in ministries, serving our community, reaching out to people, sharing the gospel. All of that is to serve him and glorify him and have, have his name be glorified. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's where you fall, just feeling weak and, and weary and beat up from church. Um, or maybe, maybe you're somebody who maybe grew up in church and you're kind of like the Samaritan woman, maybe made some bad decisions, uh, took a, a wrong turn here or there along the way. And maybe you were from a church that really beat you up by that. And you really felt not welcome anymore. Um, now, I hope and I pray, and from uh, what people tell you know us, myself, Pastor John... That's not the kind of church that we are. Thankfully, you know, a lot of – and uh, it's awesome to hear when people come up and say, you know, I feel really welcome here. I just feel the love of God um, really through everyone that they interact with. So everyone gets a gold star for that. Um, but you know, seriously, though, there's – I feel like that's – we're probably – In the minority in a lot of people's minds when it comes to uh being an encouraging kind of church somebody or a church that encourages people comes alongside them and doesn't look down on them uh, for things that they've done in their past and so maybe that's why you're you're weary and beat up from church um but it's important to remember and as we see in this passage that there is rest in in the hope that we have in christ now again living for and serving christ is not a chore when we're understanding that hope that we have now when i hear the word hope Um, when pastor John was first talking about, uh, when he was uh, several weeks ago, telling all of us that we were going to be, um, going through and doing this, this series, uh, hope in the world's eyes is something kind of like wishful thinking, right? When the world hears the word hope, it's like, oh, well, I, I hope this comes true. Um, basically under like when I, their definition, the world's definition of hope, uh, there's no really kind of control in it, right? We have no control in the hope. Uh, because it just uh, I hope it comes through. I hope it happens. Um, but the hope that we have in Christ—that's a confidence that we know of something that's to come. Okay, we know that we're going to be in heaven with Him one day. We know that He saved us. We have that hope. It's a confidence. Okay, God is in control of that. It, so it's not that there's no control or anything, but that hope that we have is something that I, I know that this is coming, Him. And we're understanding the fact uh, one day we're all either going to die and, and go to heaven that way or we're, or we're going to be taken up um, to heaven in the rapture. But this isn't our home. And if we understand the fact that this isn't our home and we understand the hope that we have in Christ, the confidence that we have in him, then I think we're going to be able to start to kind of change our perspective of, you know, our expectations of the things that we set, again, when it comes to serving in church or when we're kind of getting beat up by life each like everyday life and just being kind of wore out and just feel completely exhausted you know i not saying that once we understand the hope in christ we understand that this isn't our home that we're no longer going to feel physically exhausted right um now sometimes you you might not but because a lot of times you know as we're just like i said before running every single day going from one place to another that can be physically exhausting um But if we understand that as we're doing all that, as we're going from one place to another, every single place that we go, we can be an example for Christ. We can be a witness for him and we can serve the people around us for him and so that he can receive that glory. But if we understand the hope that we have in Christ and the fact that this isn't our home, even as those things come our way each and every day, as life throws different things uh, at us, we can still kind of have that, that smile on our face, have that joy, that true joy, not just temporary happiness, but that true joy that when people around the world, they look at us, uh, they might think that we're crazy, right? Everything's going horrible for you in your life. Everything is falling apart. How can you still be happy? Okay? Now, that's awesome when somebody says that because that's your opening to be able to share the gospel with them. Let me tell you about the joy that I have in Christ because I have hope in him That's why I'm able to, even though things seem to be going wrong, I understand, listen, I can still serve him along the way. This place isn't my home. I know I have a hope in Christ, so I can still be, um, I can still have that joy. So maybe some of us, or we know somebody uh, close to us who is in that position where they're being kind of made, they they feel weak. They feel weary, worn out. Um, We need to understand that the hope that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in that hope is also for us and for those people. Uh, so again, when we read a passage like this, we might instinctively instinctively think that this means that we don't have to do any more work, right? That's what rest means. Okay? Sunday, day of rest, go home, watch the Lions lose, um, have some dessert and take a nap, right? That's just what we do. Um, and not really doing anything, don't have to do any yard work. Uh, but so we might instinctively think, okay, well, I don't have to do any more work if I, if I just get to rest. But it's important to remember that we're called by God, called by Jesus with, through the Great Commission to take the gospel to the entire world around us and to make disciples for Him. Okay? Uh, even if you go back uh, into Genesis and you read about Adam and Eve and how they had, like, they did work in the garden before the fall. After the fall is where the labor of the work came in. Okay? That's where, you know, the exhaustion came in. But it's important to remember that we're called to take the gospel to the world and make disciples. And really, this is the greatest work ever that we could do. That's, what we, that's the, the last charge that Christ gave us uh, before he ascended into heaven. Um, but I think when we read about this rest, it's important to be spiritually focused. Again, having those expectations not through our own eyes but through God's eyes. If we're spiritually focused, um, this rest is really, I feel like that rest can really kind of be translated into hope. I, I can rest in the fact that I have freedom in Christ. I have hope. I, I know I have the confidence and the hope of the freedom that I have in Christ. So, Again, remembering that this world is not our home and that everything we do, uh, we need to be doing with the kingdom in mind, right? That's, that's our, our whole church's goal, to be a kingdom-focused church who loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. So we can, we can rest assured that the yoke, because he does say that there, there is still a yoke involved. So again, that's how we know that rest doesn't mean no more work. But we can be rest, rest assured that the yoke that we take on in Christ will be easy because, again, it's all for his glory. So the the third definition that I want to look at when it comes to being broken is uh, the last one, being incomplete, not complete or full. So for that, there's going to be two passages we're going to look at. The first one is going to be Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and that's page um, 830. I think that's correct. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. The only reason I think it's not is when I wrote down 830, I wrote it as the time 830. So... Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be next. Um, And we're going to read this passage and then to kind of, uh, I guess, get a better understanding of what we're talking about, we're going to go to a different one. So Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 10 there. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality. Okay, ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality. So understand exactly how we're complete in him. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. So it should just be a few pages back, uh, page 823. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 6 and read through the end of the chapter. So as we're reading through these verses, um, I want us to think about that fact of what we just read in Colossians, of how we're complete in him. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 1, and starting in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that he, ye had heard, uh, the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that... in. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in the Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in. So, now that's, that's, as I was reading through that, um, in preparing for this, I was like, that's almost something that we could just like read and just kind of sit and, and think about what that just said for a while. And almost just read and I not have to say anything because anything that I say just might just ruin the whole mood that that brings. Um, but as we read through that and read all the things that, that come with putting our faith and trust in him, the inheritance that we have, we read about the hope that comes with that, the wisdom. And we read about the power that God has, how he's over um, all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's a pretty powerful passage to just be able to look at. And I would encourage us uh, as we go throughout this week, maybe later today when you go home, whenever, um, take some time and just kind of read through that passage again and just, uh, just kind of praise God for who he is and, and what he's done for us. Um, but when I'm reading through that and looking at this idea of being incomplete or uh, to, to not be full, if we go back to Colossians chapter 2, we read about uh, things uh, like philosophies. And let me turn over there real quick so I can get the exact wording. But so back in Colossians chapter two, uh, it says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So as we read through that and then we read through that passage back in Ephesians, I think it's pretty safe to say that we can come to the conclusion that the world cannot offer us what we need. We can't be given what we need from the world. People spend their whole lives chasing things that the world offers only to end up feeling empty. How many, how many times have we heard stories of people, you know, businessmen, who um, they're always chasing after the next dollar, okay? What they have is never enough. Now, when I think about that, I think about, um, uh, about Tom Brady, who, for those of us who don't know, he's the greatest quarterback ever. Um, went to the University of Michigan. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Uh, but basically, he has seven Super Bowl rings. More than any, actually, more than any individual team ever. Okay, so he has more Super Bowls um, than anybody else. But every, he's been asked multiple times. You know, when you have seven rings that you can choose from, and they all look a little bit different, people ask him, "What's your favorite ring?" His answer is always the next one. Now, for him as an athlete, that's his kind of motivation. Of I, I like, I don't want to be complacent in what I have, but. There is that mindset of people, uh, you know, who are, who are always trying to chase more and more money. The money that they have is never enough. They can never be happy with what they have. Um, so speak, people spend their entire lives chasing things that the world offers only to end up feeling empty. And that kind of goes back to what I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, talking about happiness versus joy, right? The Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. Things, things that, aren't go, that aren't good for us, they're going to make us feel happy at least for a little bit of time. There are things in the world that the world offers that can make us happy, but it's not that forever eternal kind of joy that we have our hope in in Jesus Christ that we can uh, get from him. So we look back in this passage, it talks about philosophy, vain deceit, the tradition of men, the rudiments of this world, they're all going to leave us empty. But we are made complete in him, but how so? So again, we already looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and read through that, and just thinking about how amazing that is, and just kind of resting in the truth that uh, that we read in that passage. And I want to real quick read through the last few verses. Um, or some of the last few verses, verses I should say. Uh, verses, um, verses 19 through 23. So again, Ephesians 1 verses 19 through 23. So keeping in mind that what the world can offer us, the philosophy of and deceit, tradition of men rudiments of this world. It's all going to leave us empty. Now let's read through again. The last few verses of this chapter, uh, verse 19 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So first real quick, I want to go back to what we just saw in verse 19, um, who, to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, okay? That's the kind of power that we're talking about. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in. Those are two completely different ends of the spectrum, right? We look and say, don't, don't go after these things. They're just going to f- leave you feeling empty. All the philosophies, tradition of men, vain to see, all these things, it, it's just going to be surface-level stuff. It might make you happy. It might give you some answers temporarily, but it's really maybe lead to even more confusion. But if we look back here at what Christ offers, that will, comes through the salvation that we accept from him, it seems like a pretty easy choice, right? But a lot of us, we, we ignore it. We, we, we like to see the things here, Right, A lot of the things that we're talking about, again, that hope, it's that knowledge that we know we have confidence that we're going to have that rest in Christ. We're going to be able to see him one day. Uh, but a lot of times for our human brains, it's hard for us to wrap around something that we can't see. It's much easier to understand and accept something that is right in front of us. right? Because um, let's be honest, we're not the smartest. We need to see something right in front of us uh, to be able to kind of understand it. But uh, So think about the contrast between those two passages and what's offered by both of them. Really, you end up feeling empty from the one and the other. You're completely full. And as we look at that last verse, which says in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in. So we are his church. If we've put our faith and trust in him, we've accepted Jesus Christ, as our savior. We are his church and we are his body. So. Now, I want us to understand that when we go back and kind of wrap things up in a minute, uh, But think about that aspect. Think about that. Because we are his body, we are his church, we have the fullness of him indwells in us. He indwells us uh, completely. So, again, this should be an encouragement to anyone who's feeling incomplete. Uh, Now, this could apply to a bunch of different people in different areas. Maybe you're saved and feel that you don't have what it takes to serve him uh, in the manner that he's calling you. But, again, we just read about we're we're the body of him. He fills us completely. We're, We're his body, the church, and we have the power that raised Christ from the dead. In the Holy Spirit living in us. And so if he's calling us to serve in a way. Uh, it's because he knows that it's, it's going to be him working through us. Again going back to he wants to use us. He doesn't need us. He can find it from somebody else who's going to be willing. But he wants to use us. And it's his power and his glory that's going to be seen through that. So maybe uh, again you're saved and you feel you don't have what it takes. Um, to serve in the manner he's calling you. Maybe you're saved. Uh, but you have doubts of what that means to be saved. Maybe, you, maybe you've, you've put your faith and trust in him and you, you've been baptized, and you're, you've grown up in church, and maybe, maybe you're having doubts because of these outward things in the world, you know, these philosophies, traditions of men, everyone's saying, yeah, well, what about this? And you're just ca- kind of having doubts. Um, that's not something that we need to kind of beat ourselves up about. Really, that's just questions that we need to go in and, and look and see what the Bible says and, and pray and, and find encouragement around us with our brothers and sisters and really kind of look and dive in, what does the Bible actually say about this? yeah everybody 's going to say well well i don 't know if that 's what that means, and well i don 't know if we should take that part of the Bible uh, to be literal uh, that doesn 't really apply to us anymore. Um, we really kind of have to block out all the things that are around us and just focus on God. like I said when we, if, if, if you go back through and read that passage in Ephesians one, like if it 's just you and God in that moment you 're reading through that and just thinking about who He is and what he 's done for us. Um, so again, maybe you have doubts of, of what that means to be saved or maybe you aren 't saved. Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior. It doesn't matter which one of these categories that you fall into when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're made complete and no longer broken. So there's a lot of us who, you know, maybe that was us. Maybe we are saved now. We've put our faith and trust in him. and We can say, yes, I would definitely describe myself as broken back then. But after Jesus, he made me complete. He made me full. And now I'm not broken. now, you know, I can be used by him because it's his power that's going to be working through me. So, or if you're somebody who isn't saved and you don't understand what that means, you don't understand about uh, what it means about his power coming and, and, and working through us, uh, and you've never really even heard about that hope. Maybe you're somebody who's been searching all through the world, all these different areas, trying to find answers, trying to find happiness, and everything's coming up short. Everything's leaving you empty. Uh, it's important to understand that there is hope in Christ. We know we have a confidence that we're going to be with him one day and we have a confidence that he's going to give us that joy. We have freedom in him from that sin that, that, um, that we continue to go back to. We have freedom from that sin. We have freedom from worry or doubt or anything like that. So to kind of go back and kind of wrap everything up, we, we looked at these three different meanings, these definitions of the word broken. Um, now obviously these aren't the only definitions of the word broken, uh, but I believe that within all these definitions, these three meanings of broken that we looked at, I feel like all of us can relate with one of these, maybe in our life at some point or another, or somebody that we know personally. Maybe as I was talking about one of these these meanings of broken, you were thinking, like, immediately somebody's name popped in your head. It says he's describing this person exactly right now. Um, I feel like one way or another, we can all kind of identify with one of these three meanings. Uh, again, whether on a personal level, level or somebody that we know who's struggling uh, so maybe you fall in that damage category. Maybe you, you have that mindset of I'm not good enough to, to be saved, right? I've already done too much bad. And that, that's, again, that kind of worldly mindset where uh, one thing that I think we hear a lot in our world is, well, that's not fair. We have this idea of fairness in our head of, well, you did this to me. I should be able to do this to you or vice versa, okay? We have this idea of fairness of I've done way too much bad things, there's nothing that can outweigh what I've done. Okay, Again, that's that worldly mindset, and we need to get away from that and be able to look through, look at these things through God's eyes. So maybe you feel uh, damaged, like the Samaritan woman. You're too far gone to be fixed. Uh, you can't be used by God. No matter how damaged you may feel, the hope that we have in Christ is for you. Uh, maybe you line up with the weak and the weary category. Uh, it seems that there's no hope because playing catch-up. Um, this world is not our home. We will have a new focus and renewed energy to live out the calling that we've been given. Maybe you're weary from just trying to face life on your own. Um, there's a yoke and burden that comes with being a follower of Christ. But we know that it is light. He, he gives us that, that promise that it, it's, it's a light and easy yoke. Um, but if we compare it to anything else that we face in our life, any of the hardships, are just trying to face life on our own it's going to seem a lot more easy, right? Because, again, God is in control. God is the one working through us. And so life in Christ is definitely far better than any kind of life that we can live without him. Nothing that we can find is going to be able to to fill that place that he takes. So, again, with that in mind, maybe you're feeling incomplete. Maybe you've been searching for a long time for something in this world that's going to make you feel whole. It's going to make you feel happy. Jobs, money, relationships, finances, whatever that might be. Um, Or just, you know, status in the community whatever that is none of these things are going to bring us true joy that only comes through salvation and through Christ so maybe uh you've been saved just feel that you aren't quite uh quite to the point of being able to serve God in the way that he's called you to be say yeah i'm saved i put my faith in him but i feel like i need to you know get to you know the next level of being a christian before i can finally serve him he wants us to serve him right where we are because again We're all going to be called to different areas and serve God in different ways in our lives. But as Christians, we've all been given the exact same calling to take the gospel of the world and make disciples. So we don't have to get to a certain level of being a Christian to be able to serve him. So that's the good news. We don't have to do it in our own ability. It's going to be through the Holy Spirit working through us. However you or someone you know might be feeling broken, it's important to understand that you're not repaired. They're not beyond repair. Um, the truth of the gospel is for everyone and the hope that we have in Christ is certainly for the broken and he will never leave us or forsake us. So if that's, if that's you this morning, or if that's somebody that, you know, um, and you've been trying to think of how, how can I talk to them? How can I approach them? How can I share with them? Because I know the truth of the gospel. I know what I've put my faith and trust in. I've seen God work in my life. How can I change or tell that to them? How can I, um, give that message to them in a way that they can understand? How can I connect with them? So maybe one of these areas kind of uh, reminds you of somebody that you know. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're struggling in one of these areas feeling broken and just feeling that there's no hope for you and that, yes, God's amazing. His, his hope is true, but I, I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. Um, it's important that we remember that. The hope is even for the broken, no matter, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how that, that fits our lives, that term broken. Uh, so I hope that, that, that this was encouragement. And as we go to prayer and we go into invitation, I want us to think about that. I want us to take a look at our own lives and think, God, have I been maybe not acknowledging, but living in a way where I feel like I'm not good enough to serve you? Or maybe if God's laying somebody on your heart, I ask that you would, you would pray that God would give you the wisdom, the, the courage to be able to talk to them, that you'd be able to share with them the truth of the hope that we know. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll go into a time of invitation. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, just bringing us all out here this morning and just being able to come together and worship you. And I thank you for the time of fellowship that we've had so far and the time of fellowship that we're going to continue to have um, as we have lunch together. But God, I just pray uh, that for those of us who are here who are maybe feeling broken, in whatever way, whatever manner, or maybe somebody's feeling broken in, in, in a different way than we talked about. God, I pray that that we would understand that we can't, we're not beyond repair. That there's nothing that you can't do. That the hope that you bring in salvation, the freedom that we have, and that hope in you is for everybody. And so I pray, if that's any of us, that you would just uh, allow us to be encouraged in the truth that we've looked at this morning. And I pray if there's anybody that we know who falls into one of these categories, God. I pray that you would just uh, help us to um, be able to be that encouragement, be able to be that uh, that positive influence, and be able to share the truth of the joy that we have and and the hope that we have in salvation, God, and that we would be able to be that living example, not just in our words but also in our actions, that we can be that living example. And, God, I pray that we would even take this, this message of hope to the world around us because, God, we know that we can definitely describe the world around us as broken. So I pray that as we we leave here, we go throughout the day, we go throughout our week, uh, just our regular routine. God, I pray that we would be that living example of hope to the broken world around us. So again, I just pray that you'd continue to be with us throughout the rest of this morning. Bless this time of invitation. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.